and welcome to episode 89 of the 1099 for the week of April 24th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a senior editor at Giant Bomb, as well as the author of Anxiety is an Ally and the Dumbest Kid in Gifted Class, Dan Reichert. Dan, thank you so much for being here today. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I've had both Alex and Vinny on here, so you're the last piece of the Giant Bomb East puzzle. <laughs> Uh, you, I mean, it's only recent for you. You've just recently moved out to New York. So I, you have been there for a few months, but how's the East Coast treating you? How's the New York life been? I know you weren't a huge fan of California. So has this been a better change? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, kind of everything I wanted out of this move and more. Uh, I, I'm just now starting to feel like I'm kind of settling in because it was just such a process. Like we knew in August that we were going to be moving and I was going to be coming out to the East Coast. And it, it was such a long thing. There was a, a hellish thing of trying to rent out our apartment and, and issues with the landlady. And then we lived with her parent, uh, Bianca's parents for two months. And then it was finding a place and moving into the place and getting a puppy and all this stuff. And it's just, I, I felt like I haven't been able to sit down and just breathe since maybe like July or August. August of last year, and um, now I we finally have the apartment. We have it the way we want it, and now surprise, we have to plan a wedding in like two months. So uh, it's it's been a very very busy time lately, but it's all been great. Uh, New York's incredible. Uh, working with Vinny and Alex out here uh, out east has just been fantastic. So it's all good things. I'm busy, but it, it's definitely a good busy. Moving sucks, first off. Like, you, sometimes you end up in a better place, but the actual process of just getting all of your shit and actually moving somewhere, and you you know, now have a fiance to go with you. So when you're younger and I moved from um, like Pittsburgh area and I now live in Jacksonville, it was just me. It's so much easier to coordinate that to just be like, I'm going to sell all my old stuff yep. and just buy new stuff because hopefully the job can support that. And it's not a big issue. But for you, like you mentioned, you're, you're planning a wedding, you're getting a dog, you're, you're bringing someone with you. The entire process is exhausting and the actual sitting down and appreciating that usually takes longer like have you had a chance to explore new york have you found like this is my favorite pizza place this is my favorite you know place to hang out at different bars uh yeah you know i've been able to explore a, a pretty decent amount we like to try out different restaurants around the area uh we're up here on the upper east side and we've uh, basically been uh exploring around here mostly but yeah the, the restaurants like obviously it's just gotten everything you could ever imagine and it's all incredible and then you can also get delivery from anywhere and it's cheap and great um, bar wise, I haven't done as much bar stuff. I just, uh, man, if this was me at 25, I'd be going out four or five nights a week trying to uh, figure out my favorite bars in the area. But now it's more about like, ah, I'm going to find some nice sushi in a, in a gym. You know, it's, uh, it's a l <laughs> little different priorities now, but, uh, do you like sushi now? Oh, I've, I've always loved sushi. Well, since college. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't, sh I know new Dan, hashtag new right. Dan has changed diets and stuff like that. So it's. <laughs> Like, it, I wasn't sure if sushi was a part of this new transition into, like, trying new things. No, that was something I, I opened up to in uh, college. But it took an all-you-can-eat buffet because I'm always terrified of spending money on new foods I haven't tried. Because then if I don't like it, I wasted money. But if it's at an all-you-can-eat buffet, then it's like, oh, it's not hurting me at all to try this. And that's how I learned that sushi's pretty good, actually. So, cheap. <laughs> that's a smart strategy. Yeah, yeah, there, there's logic behind all this. <laughs> Absolutely. And like I mentioned, you are new to New York, but you've been a giant bomb, and you're probably going to think this sounds crazy when I say it out loud, for almost three years, I think, at this point. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it had to be a big switch from you know, your years at Game Informer. Since Giant Bomb is so much more about putting yourself out there in terms of your personality, it really drives the content. And, of course, you had replay and stuff like that at Game Informer. But every day now, it's you know it's quick looks, it's live streams, it's podcasts where you are you're out in front of people it's not as much writing but at this point how comfortable do you feel on all these different formats and all these different channels on giant bomb you've you've been open about your anxiety in the past which is something that you haven't conquered as much as learned how to deal with but how cool is it now to just be yourself and engage with this really great audience on a daily basis uh, it, it's really, really great. And this is kind of what I've always wanted to do. You know, it's, it's writing is what got me into the industry and I still love writing, but now I kind of do it occasionally if I want to review a game or if I'm writing a book on the side, that's kind of how I get my writing out. So <clears throat> it's great to be able to do the video and podcast part of it as the primary part of my job because I always pushed hard for that when I was a game informer and I, I, I saw the way the industry was going and I saw like what Giant Bomb and, you know, was doing and what podcasts were doing and personality was becoming such a big 
part of the industry. And anytime I pushed for that, I, I always got blowback at Game Informer. I was always told, we are not Game Informer Informer. This is not, you know, it's supposed to be about us. This is supposed to be about the games. But I just got so tired of writing the same fucking preview that every single place is doing. Like, you have the same E3 meeting that everyone else has. and then you, So you have, you've got the same content you're writing about as IGN or GameSpot or, you know, whatever. And it's just, that wasn't creatively fulfilling to me. So, um yeah, like replay was my favorite part of Game Informer because I got to play games with my friends and joke around and kind of be a personality. Um, but that was once a week for like 30 minutes. So coming over here to Giant Bomb and having that be the day to day is like, you know, come up with some video ideas, uh, be on camera, be on microphone. It is, uh, it's exactly what I want to be doing. For that very reason, did you always kind of look up to people like Ryan Davis and Jeff Kurtzman because they so early, I mean, when they're investing in Giant Bomb as this personality based thing back in, 2007 2008 it seemed not crazy but a little bit thinking outside the box now it feels like every day there's a brand new patreon coming out there's a brand yep. new twitch streamer who like that's the reason people watch that content i mean why would you watch people play games unless you like the people who are playing the game so was this always they always kind of in your radar for that reason yeah i mean to be honest i was jealous because uh you know i started in 09 at game informer and a couple of the first people that uh you know we mutually followed each other in the industry were jeff and ryan and so we would talk and everything, and, and from all the stuff they would tweet out, it just seemed like they were having a lot of fun. Uh, and then that was confirmed for me when I was on the Bombcast for the first time. Ryan asked me to be on an E3 Bombcast in 2011, and I show up, and just a bunch of cool people hanging out, and there's a fridge full of beer, and everyone's just being goofy <laughs> as hell and talking about stuff that, you know, half the time doesn't have anything to do with the games even. And I just loved how freewheeling the the whole process was. And, uh, yeah, so every time I did something with the Giant Bomb guys, it was just like, God damn it, I wish I could be doing that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, luckily things worked out. Was it terrifying being on that first Bombcast before you were actually a Giant Bomb full-time employee? I had Justin McElroy on here, and he was talking. I think he had that, like, Sherlock bit way back during, like, an E3 Bombcast. And he kind of looked at it in a similar way as you, with these always those people who he'd looked up to to a certain extent and always seemed like they're having fun. And that first time actually being on the couch, he kind of got like, not starstruck, because it's so weird to call people in games, journalism stars, but maybe, you know, when you're in high school and college, it seems that way. Was it crazy for you to be on that couch talking the first time, or did you feel like you fit right in? Uh, you know, honestly, it wasn't, and I think that's largely because I've never listened to gaming podcasts. Like, I've just never been a, a thing I've been interested in. So I knew these guys from Twitter, basically, and I knew these were funny guys on Twitter. So, you know, I didn't go in thinking like, oh, my God, this is the, the giant bomb cast. You know, this is this thing I've listened to every week for years. It, it didn't carry that with it because I didn't I hadn't listened to it before. Uh, and so that was my first uh, first example of what they did. And that was my first time seeing how freewheeling it was. And so, yeah, it's not like I went in uh, intimidated or anything. I just wanted to go talk about games and, and drink some beers with guys that I liked from Twitter. Uh, and then obviously, like once I saw like what the Bombcast was and, and how the, the company is run, I, I gained a deeper appreciation for you know what this whole thing is. And you're a guy who likes to stay busy. Otherwise, you wouldn't be writing books on the side while you also have a full-time job and being a wrestling manager and doing all these <laughs> other things. So, so do you ever, and maybe a little bit of a weird question, do you ever get worried about getting too comfortable in a regular routine where it's like, all right, podcast this day, we'll do a live stream, quick look, and you start kind of getting on a schedule instead of doing things more organically? Because it seems like you're the, a person who pushes for new content ideas. You look at Demo Derby or I know you and Vinny together did This Is The Run, but you're always trying to think up new things, Metal Gear Scanlon. Is that really important for you to always keep evolving what you're doing every single week to really stay engaged and interested and kind of keep growing in that way? It, it is. Uh, like I really like having the freedom to, like, if I have a silly idea or something I really want to do, I like to be able to do it. And sometimes that can be difficult just in terms of scheduling because, you know, we've got the obvious things that are every week. You know, we record the BeastCast every Thursday. We do live streams most Wednesdays and, and Fridays. Um, <coughs> so, and then we always have this rotating thing of series. You know, we've got two hours of Yakuza we're doing every week. Now we're doing This is the Run again with Soul Calibur. So it's it can be challenging at times to try to find ways to squeeze in silly things uh, when you do have scheduled stuff. But luckily, these features we do typically have a end date. You know, when we did Metal Gear Scanlan, it was, okay, we're going to play until we finish this Metal Gear game, and then we're going to take a break for a while. We'll have some breathing room to do whatever we want, and then we'll come back to it. 
So, um, with the, with the exception of like the beast cast and like a rotating, uh, live stream, uh, thing, I, I do have, uh, windows of time where, where I can do, you know, whatever, basically. What's kind of the pitching process for this stuff? I'm guessing you have, you know, meetings to talk about, hey, here's the content for this week, or especially, uh, Vinny and Jeff talking about, here's where you guys should quick look, here's what we'll quick look. But when you're thinking of these new ideas, uh, who are you talking to about it? How are you kind of presenting it? And can it be difficult? I mean, just recently, uh, I know Drew left, and then before that, Austin had left. Can it be difficult trying to plan long-term series when you don't know? I mean, you guys usually stay there for a while, but you don't really know how long someone's going to be at the site. Uh, you know, that's so few and far between, uh, you know, since I've started. I mean, that's the only two people that have left. I guess, no, I, I worked with Patrick for a few months before he left. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like one a year. So there, there's not too much of a risk since most of these features are maybe a few months at most. Uh, you know, that's not really something I've ever worried about. But uh, the actual process of pitching is very informal. It's if I have a dumb idea about something, I'll just kind of lean back and look over at Benny and be like, hey, what if we did a thing where we bleh, you know, and then we'll <laughs> talk it over. And oftentimes that initial idea will take some twists and turns. And, you know, sometimes the thing we wind up with is a totally different thing than what we originally pitched. In fact, um, uh, this is the run was originally just going to be a Contra series where we just went through and tried to beat all the Contra games. And we just kind of talked and talked. And we're like, well, we should try to beat it with, you know, just three lives, because no one ever did that. Everyone did the 30 lives. Well, what if we did this and this? Oh, what if we did one run per thing? And then, it, so that wound up being what this is the run is, which now, as you've seen with Soul Calibur, it's, it can be whatever. Um, it, yeah. It's just a defined goal in mind, and each episode is, you know, we get one attempt at it. So that all came from, hey, let's play all the Contra games. So... Uh, it, it's a really cool brainstorming process and, uh, everyone's very open to, uh, you know, talking out whatever idea you've got. And it's funny because we were talking earlier about how personality driven everything is. And it's, there's so many different members of the community who have, who have their favorites and who have like, oh, I can't wait for this combination of people on this video. And I think Dan's going to fit in really well with Vinny. That's going to be a lot of weirdness and a lot of like just interesting situations. But early on when you first got there, wasn't it all difficult kind of taking, I don't know if it's Twitter heat, but probably a lot of interesting tweets at you for just how opinionated you can be uh, about food, games, movies, and the general, like, again, brashness is a weird word, (laughs) but it takes a bit to get used to the Dan Reichert experience, and it's hard being new to Giant Bomb no matter who you are because you're entering kind of this family environment where, you know, people are visiting that site multiple times every day and are just looking and hungry for new content, but did any of the comments, the tweets, the reactions actually get to you at all no and the thing is if i had thin skin about that stuff i wouldn't be so cavalier about putting myself out there uh i guess i i'm the type of person that when i do something stupid uh you know if i if i trip on the sidewalk or i I just do something dumb that most people would be embarrassed by i tend to just think it's funny because it's like man i probably looked real stupid there that was probably funny so i've always felt very comfortable just putting out everything. And a lot of those stories are things that people would never admit to, whether it's the, you know, eggshell stuff or the food stuff or whatever, you know, like it's, it's shit that most people would be like, Oh, I can't let anyone know that that happened. But I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to go out there and say crazy things. I'm just saying things that happened. And if people think I'm an idiot or uh, people don't like me because of it, like I honestly, I don't really give a shit about that. Um, I, I want to do stuff that our fans like. Uh, that's important to me, that we're, we're doing good content for the fans. But as far as whether some people get mad at me or, or think I'm a dumbass or whatever, like that doesn't bother me in the slightest. Do you think it was actually healthy for you trying new foods and trying new thing to be on such a public platform like Giant Bomb, say this stuff, and then get people saying, like, maybe you should try this, or maybe if you really you know, thought about food this way, you'd enjoy it this way? Was it just maybe that certain age of your life where you decided, like, I'm going to drop some of these preconceived notions, or was it being on the internet so much that made you change into new Dan? Uh, I, I think the wheels were very much in motion, uh, probably starting in, like, college, because I was, like, cemented in my ways all the way up through high school. And a lot of those ways and opinions and, and stubbornness uh, lasted for years beyond college, you know, into the Game Informer years and even into some of the early Giant Bomb years, and I probably still have my stuff today. Um, but, no, I, I, I've i learned throughout the years that the more I have opened up and tried new things and, and been adventurous and, and kind of challenged my old stubborn thoughts, uh, I've only been happy about the results. I've never tried something or given something a shot and thought like, well, that was a fucking waste of time. Why did I do that? I was right to begin with. Like it's, it's always been good. So, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, I'd say another big part is obviously, you know, meeting Bianca, getting engaged and everything. Like, that, that's that been fantastic as far as me just growing as a person, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a process. I I can't chalk that all up to, to being on the internet. And you did mention previously that you'd always kind of looked at the stuff Giant Bomb was doing, or at least, you know, Jeff and Ryan were doing even at GameSpot, and always seemed like those people are having fun. Like, that seems like stuff I want to do, and you're always trying to insert personality more into the content, but... Do you often miss writing reviews and doing features like you used to do in college and at Game Informer? Because uh, you are mostly doing videos at this point. There's still some writing, but and maybe to a certain extent, that's a better way for you to kind of get your thoughts out there. I know I have, I really still appreciate really well written games criticism, but there's also something helpful about someone playing a game for 20, 30 hours and then doing a quick look and be like, here's exactly how it plays. Here are my thoughts on it. I'm just going to express it this way. But do you kind of have this hankering of it to go back and like, I really just want to write more or is that kind of gone? There are times, uh, it's very specific times. Like a, a good example is uh, Zelda. So, you know, if you've listened to the podcast or read my review, you know, I have very, very strong feelings about Breath of the Wild. And <clears throat> I had so much I wanted to say and I knew I was going to get, you know, that segment on the, on the Beast cast where I got to, you know, hey, Dan, tell me about Zelda. But I worry with something like a podcast that when there's so much I want to say that I will forget or, you know, I'll get wrapped up talking about one thing and I'll get sidetracked or something or forget what I was going to say. So in situations like that where I really have a lot of thoughts I want to get across, uh, it's really nice to be able to write like a lengthy review and, uh, you know, look it over several times, put an outline together and just make sure I've hit all those points that I want to talk about before I ever put it out into the world. Because it is very easy to kind of forget things that you meant to say when you're uh, live on a podcast or whatever. It has to be just different. The, the process of, again, like putting things into words over putting things on paper because you do get that second, third, fourth, fifth pass, that different editing of let me actually stop and think about this compared to a quick look where sometimes, I mean, most of the time that's just off the cuff. That's a lot of its early thoughts before you put uh, an incredible amount of time actually in that game. Has there ever been any quick looks that you've done where you've supplied some sort of commentary and then looked back and thought maybe you were unfair to a game or you wish you would have uh, put in put that into words instead of actually put it on video? Uh, I would say the quick look of Metro, uh, the one that was like the two-pack with 2033 and Last Light. I think it was that Metro Redux. Uh, so that was one that, you know, if you look at the comments, I think we probably had to lock the comments on that one. People were pissed off. Uh, and I get it because people, some people are really passionate about the Metro games, and I don't think I was the guy for that one. I don't remember why I was put on that. You know, maybe nobody at the site was into those games. Uh, I think Patrick was, but he was gone at that point. So I don't remember why, but I was the guy on that. And I just didn't give it a fair shake at all. Uh, I was playing it, and I was just going into full-blown, like, this is stupid. Well, why is this happening? Oh, why do I have to wipe the shit off my mask? You know, I was just getting mad about everything in the game and just really not giving it a fair shake at all. Uh, so that's why, ever since then... I try to make sure that even if I fucking hate something, uh, that I at least take a second to step back and rationally explain why it's not for me. And, and I think if you look at the difference between uh, that Metro Quick Look and something like Drawn to Death, uh, which is a quick look that just went up, uh, I much more aggressively hate Drawn to Death than I hate anything <laughs> in Metro. Metro's not for me. I hate Drawn to Death. Uh, but I made sure several times in that Quick Look to stop just the the mocking and me getting mad to be like, all right, I'm going to speak slowly and rationally about this instead of yelling about how much I hate it. I think this part is okay. I think this is okay. Here's why this upsets me. Here's why. So instead of just being cartoon character, angry video game man, I, I need to step back sometimes and explain things uh, like I did in that Drawn to Death thing. So it, the end result I'm more happy with with Drawn to Death because I got across what I didn't like, but, you know, it, it was in both the exasperated angry guy and rational gaming dude voice i guess i don't want to say journalist because I, I don't <laughs> consider myself a journalist at all but you know what i mean yeah i well by the way drawn to death i think is dog shit yes, so i'm yes. fully on your side yes. with that one that one's hard to love yeah with metro there's also this kind of fandom surrounding it so i would assume as soon as you're saying anything about it there's already this you know the, the pitchforks are out from this group who have this massive appreciation for it uh so we talked a little bit about this off air, but here's here's the bigger question, uh, kind of surrounding the industry as a whole, and that's what's your take on the industry as it stands? Because I think you, we were similar in high school and college, where we wrote a bunch of reviews, 
and features and things for free, maybe on a blog, maybe for a paper, maybe otherwise, because the eventual goal was, all right, if I do this, if I put in the work, if I really try hard and I get better, I'm going to get a job at Game Informer, IGN, GameSpot, or, you know, whatever it was at the time. Uh, and then the industry as a whole had kind of reached this point where it seemed like YouTube and Twitch was the future. It seemed like it didn't make sense to really invest that much time in the writing because honestly, people cared way more. Do you have a personality and can you use Final Cut or can you actually talk into a camera? But now we do have, you know, Waypoint, Glixel, to some degree Polygon that has culture writing and this other side of it. So where do you kind of see a lot of this going? Do you think we've equalized a bit where there's room for both or do you still think personality and video is kind of reigning supreme? Ah, man, that, that's hard to, hard to say. And actually, I'm asking you to look, into the, <laughs> look at the future and tell me yeah. exactly where this industry is going. Yeah, you know, I think the stuff with like Waypoint and Polygon is still fairly new. And it, the thing is, it's not th- those sites aren't something like YouTube where there's just a billion people trying to do it. They are very specialized. Like, you know, if you're looking for a full-time job doing that type of writing, I mean, that's basically the two places I can think of. So we're talking about maybe a couple dozen positions, if that, like in the country. So... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think they do cool stuff. Um, but my answer to that has changed so much because people used to ask me all the time, especially when I was a game informer, uh, Hey, how do I do what you do? How do I get a job writing about games? And I used to say pretty much the same thing every time I would always respond and say, well, uh, you got to write and you got to write a lot. And you need to, uh, like, you will naturally improve as you write more. And so it doesn't matter how many people are reading your stuff. You know, it could be on a Tumblr that, you know, your mom follows and no one else. Uh, it could be uh, on on a Word document that you don't even put on the Internet. You will just naturally get better at writing the more you do it. And then you just apply whenever you see an opening. If there's an, op- an editorial position open at IGN or GameSpot or Game Informer or whatever, apply. But you're not going to get it every time. Like, I got turned down from IGN, GameSpot. I, I applied to the million different places for, for years and years before Game Informer picks me up. And so I always said, oh, be persistent. Don't be dissuaded if you don't get the job the first, second, fifth time or whatever. Um, but that was my advice when there were more traditional writing positions. Um, and then as the years went on, it just became, like, as, as places kind of shut down, like, traditional media places shut down, and the rise of YouTube and Twitch and everything, it's it's a much trickier answer, because I, I don't know if I'd recommend putting all your eggs into the writing basket the way I did, because I think it's going to be even harder now than it was when I was trying to break in. But then, the other side of the coin is, well, okay, so YouTube and Twitch and everything, that's a big deal, but everyone's doing that, too, so... How do you get noticed? Like that, that's a world that I have not really done. I mean, I've done a little bit of streaming from home, but nothing like professional at all. I, and I don't know what that world's like. I don't know how you get noticed. And even if you do manage to get noticed, I don't know how viable that is monetarily. You know, I don't know exactly how the YouTube payout stuff works. Um, and you're also at the whim of, of YouTube policies. So overnight, without any warning, uh, it could be a thing where it's like, oh, uh, we now will say if you're not advertiser friendly and we'll cut off whatever part of your, you know, you're ineligible for these advertisers or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know all the specifics of how they went about that, but just the general idea of being at the whim of YouTube policies and then your whole business model could be completely changed. Um, it's tricky. It, it's extremely, extremely tough. Um, I, I think with YouTube and, and Twitch, you have to do something different. Because there are just so many people doing the, hey, I'm playing this game and talking over it. And so many people trying to kind of emulate the, the YouTube style or trying to emulate other popular streamers or whatever. It's got to be so tough. Uh, I'll give you an example of one guy I've seen recently that uh, I think is really doing some cool stuff. Uh, this guy, Leo Vader. Uh, he was a Game Informer intern, but after I left. So I never worked with him. I've never met the guy. But uh, Ben Hansen, a good friend of mine, still a Game Informer, he was like, you need to check out this guy's stuff. It's fucking weird and, and amazing. And, uh, yeah, this guy, Leo Vader, I think the YouTube channel is It's called Games Are Dumb and For Kids. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's just the weirdest shit in the world. Like, I just started watching this stuff, like, you know, in recent weeks. And, uh, it's so fucking weird. And, like, you look at the, the view count and, like, you know, there, there are a few hundred views on these things. And I look at this and I'm just like, oh my God. Well, 
I think he's doing what you need to do because this is fucking weird and cool. And hopefully word of mouth or whatever uh, will, will spread and, and that type of stuff works out. Like, I don't know how active he is now or if that's still his channel or whatever. But just the stuff I've seen has been really cool. But that's one example of someone that I saw that's like, okay, they're doing something different. Like, if I was trying to break in right now, I would want to do something like that. But then it's tough, too, because you don't want to do just different for different sake. You know, you have to have your own voice. So, man, it's it's just a tricky goddamn thing right now. So uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to just have a full-time position uh, doing what I do because, <laughs> man, it'd be fucking tough if I was born a few years later. I was like, hold on to it for dear life because, yeah, there's, like, so few out there. And I, I think the doing something different is the best piece of advice to give kind of globally in terms of whether you're doing video or writing. If you just blend in with everyone else especially on youtube i usually try to because i do get emails pretty consistently about like hey i'm trying to start this what direction should i go and i'm like you or even if i was kind of coming up during the youtube quote-unquote youtube era i don't fully get it like what works i just know what doesn't work which is person x just doing let's plays and here's my top five list or here's me reacting to a trailer because if i don't have any idea who you are and you have like seven subscribers like why should i watch why should i watch your let's play why should i watch your top five list there's you got to give me reasons to and like you mentioned like trying something different that maybe you haven't seen before not just for the sake of being weird but something that feels genuine is probably the best route to take on that but anyone who emails me and says you know i want to you know, write full time. I want to write reviews full time. When as soon as I get out of college, it's it's hard to just be like, all right, like you should write more because it's going to make you better. But I'm like you were, you know, a couple of years back, I was applying a lot to GameSpot, IGN, and you get turned down for those jobs. And I know the amount of experience I had. So to tell this person who's emailing me, you know, hey, person who's 17 and hasn't done any writing yet just write for a few years and you'll definitely get a job like it's just not the case it's just such a gamble every single time so we're in this weird spot where i don't know the i don't know the best way to consistently make money about games unless you already have a name or you have a full-time job already and you can't just turn to patreon because no i mean i would love to talk to you about patreon because you know you saw drew scanlon recently do it danny o'dwyer there's the kind of funny people and i'm super happy for them and they deserve uh, the amount of money they're getting in, but it's it's not for everyone. You can't be a person with 700 Twitter followers who's written a couple freelance reviews for uh, a couple big sites and expect to get more than like $60 on Patreon. So uh, what's kind of your thought on this crowdfunding push? Like how much how much money is there to go around? Because people have to eventually get fatigued of it, right? You would think so, because I, I'm sure the demographic for a lot of that is is shared. You know, I'm sure there are tons of people that are donating to both like Drew and Danny's Patreon. And, you know, uh, it, it's tough, I'm sure, if you're a consumer and say, like, well, I'm giving $5 a month here, I'm giving $10 a month here, five here, like... It, it It's a big ask if, if people keep splitting off and doing their own thing. It's like, well, I mean, people aren't like your average consumer that watches video game content on the internet isn't going to want to suddenly have to give $60, $70 a month to 12 different Patreons, you know? So I don't know. I think that really remains to be seen. And you see people doing it in totally different ways. You know, you saw uh, Greg and the IGN guys break off and do kind of funny. And they very much went for the like, well, we're going to make like a business. We are buying a studio. We're, you know, really going about this. We're going to do, you know, preview events and bring on developers and all this stuff. And then you see more kind of specialized things where it's like Danny, uh, being focused on like, Hey, we're going to do these, these in-depth documentaries or Drew doing the, the travel focus. So there are so many different ways to go about it, but it is not for everyone. Like, like you said, it's not for people starting out, obviously, because you have to have some sort of like base, like user base to, to promote your thing even. But even for people that are already in and, and have a name, I don't think it's for everyone. Like, for instance, I would not do that. You know, I, where I'm at in my career, I have no interest in doing that because, like, what would I do? It's uh, – I, I like working with with a team. I, I need someone to play off of. I need to have Vinny to, to do silly stuff with or Alex to kind of play the straight man and tell us when we need to shut up. Uh, if it was just me going off and doing my Patreon thing, everyone would want to kill me instantly. Like, if it was just me <laughs> babbling into a microphone, it's just, you know, and like when I've done home streams and stuff before, like, that's fun. I like being able to interact with the chat and everything. But yeah, I, it's not, not for me, but the guys like Danny and Drew are, are killing it. 
But again, not an option for someone that's 17 and, and wants to set up a career path. Wouldn't it terrify you? Like, again, you wouldn't do Patreon, but if you did, and let's say you suddenly have $20,000 a month, how can you rely on that money consistently? I don't think there's like a, hey, you have to sign up for a certain right. number of months for this person. Like, again, when you've been getting these people this all these different people's content for free for so long and maybe you're like oh cool i'll donate the first month but two months later maybe you lose half of that maybe you lose five thousand dollars of that and everything you budgeted for is suddenly gone that has to be terrifying kind of living month to month not knowing like you know if i if i fuck up (laughs) this could be ten thousand this could be five thousand yeah that that's another major thing that that makes me not interested in it is uh you know i like stability i like knowing that i get x amount on my paycheck every two weeks i like having a 401k i like having health insurance i don't want to have to deal with all that stuff you know so i like having the traditional employer and then like you said uh you know what if fucking i don't know metro 3 comes out and i do a video of it and i shit all over it and then some fucking organized organized thing to to drop dan's patreon starts on neo gaff or reddit or whatever and then all of a sudden yeah uh, totally.org or something yeah and then i'm you know down half of my income and have to change my entire lifestyle it's just that scares the shit out of me, and so I, yeah, it's not something I'm looking into. It's still so weird. I just don't, it's similar to Kickstarter, where early on it seemed like everyone was doing it, and then suddenly it's like, all right, well, let's actually wait a couple of years and see how this all shakes out. Is this a fad, or is this something that's actually going to persist? And again, for the people who, you know, have put in the work and have cool ideas, I hope it does. I'm just, when I, I get skeptical when I see random people all over the place being like, just please pitch into my Patreon. Like, yeah. yeah. Let's, I think there should be a different route for that. Uh, and I know you don't like t- to talk about politics, so I'm not going to drag you into a political conversation. But we are in this weird spot where you have YouTubers like PewDiePie and JonTron who are in young people's lives, similar to almost like instead of Saturday morning cartoons on Nickelodeon Cartoon Network, people are watching YouTubers. And Giant Bomb has a different audience. But to a certain extent, you do still have this kind of weekly influence on people's life. And that... Might not be something you totally signed up for. Of course, personality-driven content was something you always wanted to do. But uh, people really take what you say and, like, the, you know, when you have, like, a tweet about something important going on, they care about what you have to say about it. So do you think about that at all? Of course, you know, there's you, – you look at some of those YouTubers, there's a lot of awkward <laughs> anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant stuff that I will not get into right now. I got into it recently on a different podcast. But do you consider the impact of – what you say or for you is it more just worried about let me just be myself put the cards out there and i'm willing to you know grow for certain things that maybe i'm not thinking about in the best way or like right now it's just this is me i'm dan reichert people can either take it or leave it yeah the thing is it has been a concentrated uh move to not talk about politics and and part of that is because I'm fine with talking about shit that I don't understand or that I, I'm not an expert on if it comes to, like, me trying to explain why I don't like Persona. And, and you know, it's like, well, yeah, okay, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about because I've never played Persona, but I'm fine with that. I'm talking about a video game. Uh, with larger issues that I'm not an expert on, I don't want to go out there and say, oh, I know this and that and everything and just have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. And and I, I definitely do have, uh, you know, my political opinions, and I do have, you know, things in that arena that I feel very strongly about. And I, I keep that to personal conversations. You know, it's, uh, it, look, if people are looking for political opinions on the internet, there are any number uh, of places uh, you'll find <laughs> they it. They are out there. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. Um, I don't think that's why people come to me. Um, so I, I tend to not do that. But, you know, on occasion, you know, uh, you'll you'll hear some of that stuff. There were some podcasts I've done with my dad on Giant Bomb where we get into some of that stuff. You know, I, I tweeted about a, a political thing a few months ago that I felt really strongly about. And, uh, yeah, it comes out. But when it comes down to it, like, I don't think that's why people are following me on Twitter or listening to me on the Giant Beast cast. But, you know, I anybody that does speak up about that stuff and, and, and they're more knowledgeable about it than I am, Good for them. I mean, yeah, it's it absolutely have the right to do that. Do you ever feel pressure to talk about it on Twitter? Because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk about, like, hey, if, like you can't just be silent about it. you got to get out there. And I think I'm more on – I lean toward your side of – there's a lot of stuff I just – I'm not – either not smart enough or not educated enough about to actually have a real good opinion that's going to move things forward. There's a lot of times where I'm like, there's just smarter people out there to talk about this stuff. But because you have, you know, a pretty sizable – Twitter following and because you have you're a personality on the internet do you feel pressure from people saying like 
we want you to talk about this or again because people know you they, they're not coming to you with that kind of stuff no i i don't really feel pressure about that and i i i one thing i think is very lame about twitter is when people do kind of put pressure on themselves and like well i have to have my opinion on this and so many times it comes out as just this hashtag pray for you know insert location of tragedy here and like you know something that does nothing you know um like, like, of course, everyone feels bad when a tragedy happens. You know, like, I shouldn't have to do an empty tweet being like, oh, it's, it's terrible seeing what happened here. Uh, like, of course, I think that. I'm, I'm not a sociopath. When tragedy happens or, or people die or something awful is happening in the country or elsewhere, I feel the same way. I don't feel the need to go out and be like, hey, Twitter, just so you all know, I feel bad about this. Like, I, I, that does nothing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't put that kind of – that social media pressure on myself. Um, you know, I, I've got my opinions, you know, I'll, I, I'll tell them to my friends when those conversations come up, but I, I'm not going to do empty tweets about things, uh, about things that should be obvious. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, uh, earlier we did mention that you do have different books you've written. And I think the two that really stand out are anxiety is an ally. And, uh, the most, the most recent one you did, which is the dumbest kid in gifted class. Uh, is that kind of your, one of your favorite outlets to just be personal about shit and kind of, I'm not saying you are a wrestling character on giant bomb <laughs> uh, in terms of like upping your personality to 11 at all times. Cause again, I do think you're genuine with stuff, but these are the times where you can talk about things that you wouldn't talk about otherwise on a video game website. So is it kind of, is it rewarding in a certain way to take a step back and talk about these things that mean a lot to you kind of directly to an audience who you know if they're buying that they really they care they want to actually read this stuff and know this stuff about you yeah that's been uh incredibly nice like uh specifically those two books that you mentioned uh because those have been ways for me to speak kind of at length about things that have happened in my life or things i feel strongly about whether it's a silly story from working at a movie theater or you know uh a whole book's worth of things about my struggle with anxiety disorders. Um, I like that a lot because, you know, I, I spend enough time talking about myself on giant bomb content. Uh, so it's nice to, to, I guess, funnel that narcissism into, uh, uh like, uh, <laughs> Hey, okay. So here's my own little corner, my own little book I did on my own time. So if you want to read about this, here you go. This is all about me here. Uh, so I don't have to, to bore people with every little story about my life for the umpteenth time on giant bomb. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really nice and it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about like Zelda, uh, when I was writing the review versus talking on the podcast. Uh, when I'm on a podcast, it's, it's always just kind of chaos. I don't ever really go in with any plan outside of like, well, I know I'm going to talk about, I don't know, Mario Kart this week or whatever, you know? Um, so it is me just kind of going out there and then two hours later a podcast happens. You know, I happened, I happened to say a lot of things between A and B, but it wasn't really planned out and it may not be what I wanted to say or I didn't say it as eloquently as I wanted to. Whereas the book is more, it's this tangible thing that will last. And I, you know, this, these stories I wanted to tell, like the most recent one, the dumbest kid, um, those are a bunch of stories that, that I liked having for posterity in a book that I can hold and that I can have on my shelf for my entire life, you know? Um, uh, because yeah, you, I record stuff on podcasts and talk about it all the time, but 20 years from now, uh, you know, who knows if it's going to be easy to find that stuff and I'm not going to, you know, if, if, I'm not going to ask someone to like dig through uh, an old podcast for a, a fun story I told. So it's nice to have a book to hand someone if they're interested about this stuff. Um, and also, uh, kind of going back to the, you know, digging through an old podcast thing, sites shut down. Things leave the internet. You know, there have been, yeah, really. there have been several times like Game Informer is obviously still around, but there have been plenty of times where I'm like, Oh man, I remember me and Tim Turry did that funny, uh, video back in like 2009. Let me dig that up and show Bianca. And then it's like, Oh, right. That was on the old video server and that's down now. So was, even with sites that are still around, stuff changes and you can't find it. So. Having a printed book uh, was very important to me, um, specifically with those last two. Yeah, I mean, it's terrifying. I was a freelancer for so long, and just, the, you're right, sites shut down, and suddenly that work you posted on a site that you use on your resume to pitch to another site, yep. that's gone. Yep. So just having that actually down somewhere is so important. And yeah, like having your story down somewhere, these different stories you want to tell people, has to be super important for you. And is it crazy to have, I mean, now that the Giant Bomb community has kind of embraced you, how amazing is it to have this support group of this size where these people who will follow you as you write this book or follow you as you do these, if you go to Taco Bell and want to periscope it, 
there are people on the internet in the hundreds and sometimes thousands who actually will want to watch you do that. Uh, or maybe if you visit a random city, they'll come out of the woodwork just to meet you up at a bar or something like that. Has this entire experience since Game Informer now moving to Giant Bomb where, again, people, the community is much tighter? Has this been crazy? It's been crazy, but in the best way. Like, I, I love it. Um, you know, it's it's really cool, like, being able to do something as dumb as periscoping a, a, a trip to Taco Bell and having, like, an active chat room in there. Like, that's just such a silly, stupid thing that I wouldn't have if it weren't for the benefit of having a platform and Twitter followers and all that. You know, it's it, there are a lot of benefits that come with that. I can tweet a question like, hey, I don't know, what switch case should I get? And I'll get a billion recommendations. It's it's nice. It's extremely nice. And uh, my followers and the Giant Bomb community, they, you know, for the most part – they get it with me now. Like, they're, they know what they're getting. Um, so, yeah, I think, going back to what you said earlier, I think at first it was more of like, what the fuck is the deal with this guy? And <laughs> now I think there are still probably plenty of questions that people have, but uh, I think they it's, it's more of a known quantity now, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely that's the biggest thing. It, it takes a while to kind of understand someone's tone when they're being sarcastic and or right. when they're saying something that they mean, but they're not trying to be aggressive about it. Like, yeah, it just takes a while to actually get to know someone in that way. So, yeah, it's every time I ever tweet or mention, like, hey, I'm going to have someone from Giant Bomb on the podcast, like, you'd be amazed at, like, suddenly the podcast gets, like, 100 new subscribers yeah. <laughs> just out of nowhere. I'm like, man, this is it, – it's a really crazy community uh, and, I mean, awesome community. Uh, and lastly, the most important thing, speaking of insanity that's happened in your life, how excited are you to get married on Taco Bell's dime? Like I, we were talking about this over email and then suddenly I saw a tweet from Taco Bell that you won this competition. <laughs> and then I think you were on, was it, was it People Magazine or something like that? Yeah, like, yeah. I, how is, I mean, I have like eight layers of questions for this. How has this been for you and how has this been for your fiance? It's just been great and amazing uh it's fucking perfect uh but yeah like the the people thing i did two radio interviews this morning uh it's it's one of those things where uh when they first announced the contest a bunch of my followers tweeted it to me instantly being like oh god this is for you you know you are you're getting married everyone knows about my thing with taco bell uh you have to enter this and so i remember that was on valentine's day and I sent it to Bianca, and I was like, hey, hey, uh, we don't have a venue yet. How about this? Like, joking. Like, I didn't think there was any chance she would want to do it. Because the thing is, the big difference with me and her is she has no interest in, like, the internet fame stuff. You know, like, I I love it, obviously. I thrive on, you know, people watching me do dumb shit or, or talking to a microphone. She has no interest in it. She barely does Twitter or Facebook or any of that stuff. So I thought she would have zero interest in participating into this, like, Taco Bell publicity stunt promotion thing. But then she surprised me by coming back and being like, yeah, let's fucking do it. And so <laughs> we went out for Valentine's Day dinner that night, and I was telling her, like, okay, I want you to know that this isn't, like, normally if you entered a contest – if you entered a sweepstakes from a giant worldwide known brand and millions of people are going to see this contest or whatever, you can't say with any certainty that you're going to win that contest. But I want to warn you that if we entered this contest, I kind of think we're going to win. You're going to be the front runners. Like I just – I looked at the judging criteria for it and it was just like – it was such a layup it seemed. Like not to be cocky. Like other people had good entries and stuff like the lady with the burrito dress was, was great. But um, I just looked at it and I was like, oh my god. Like it, it was like 40% enthusiasm for the brand, 30% public appeal, 30% uh, creativity of the video. And I was like, okay, I can put together a decent enough video. Uh, enthusiasm for the brand is no issue whatsoever. And, you know, obviously through the Twitter following, it shows that I've got enough of a public appeal. Um, although, I will argue, uh, a lot of people have said like, oh, well, he just won because he's got so many Twitter followers. If that was the case, if it was just a numbers game for Taco Bell, there was a girl that entered that had like closer to 400,000 Twitter followers oh and a huge YouTube presence and Instagram stuff. Like, she was, you know, at least five or six times bigger than me as far as social media stuff. And we won. So that, that's my one defense. Not that it didn't. I, I'm sure they sat around and, and knew it, this is a promotion for them. You know, this is a they're not doing this as a charity. So I'm sure they were kind of like, OK, this will be good for us, too. He's got a following. He talks about us all the time. So, yes, I'm not an idiot. I know that probably played into it, but it wasn't just a numbers game. It's is your dad confused on how to handle this news? And like, what about Bianca's family? Like what? 
again, for you two, you both knew if you're actually going to enter this because of social media following and your love of Taco Bell and everything you've said about it, there's a good chance you're at least going to be like top two for winning this. But are, is your family confused about like, Oh my God, we have to go to a wedding at a giant Taco Bell. No, uh, my family specifically, they have just come to accept all of this at this point. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they can be surprised anymore between all the, all the things that have happened in my life, especially in recent years. Uh, so I told my dad and he was just instantly like, Dan, yes, this is perfect. Do this. Oh my God. I want you to win. Like he follows all the giant bomb content. He watches the, uh, you know, every podcast I'm in and, and quick look and everything. He gets the whole vibe. Uh, he, he's even, you know, come to understand a lot more about the video game industry through our content. Uh, so he, he totally gets it. Also, he loves Las Vegas and Taco Bell. So him, I called and told, and he just screamed, holy shit over and over <laughs> and had to pull his car over. Uh, so it, <laughs> and my mom just kind of shakes her head and laughs and she's super, super supportive of, of all this stuff. Like she, you know, she doesn't like watch all the content and stuff like my dad does, but she, she gets it as well. Um, Bianca's parents, it's, it's a bit new for them. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've known them. They have come to accept that I've got this weird job and that people know who I am and that everything's very silly and weird and a bunch of silly things have happened in my life. But I think they still have the capacity to be surprised. So, uh, so yeah, I did sit them down on Valentine's Day before we recorded the video. And I said the same thing I said to Bianca. I said, hey, we're going to do this thing. I think we might win. Are you okay with me marrying your daughter in a Taco Bell? And, uh, I, I was kind of worried about that because, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents have very strong feelings about, you know, their daughter's wedding, especially. Yeah, the sanctity of marriage. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, thankfully they totally, uh, saw why this was a cool thing. And, uh, her mom was like, yeah, this is a story you guys will have for the rest of your lives if you won. Uh, like this is a very unique thing. Nobody else would have that story. Uh, so they were totally supportive and, you know, we won six round trip, uh, flights and hotel and everything and, and they're getting two of them my parents are getting the other two so um yeah everyone's game is someone going to periscope your wedding uh i talked to bianca about this i think yesterday and <laughs> you know while it might be appropriate considering my history and everything when it comes down to it this is a big dumb silly thing but also it's it's my wedding uh it, yeah. it's her wedding it's you know uh I think we've got all the silly quota filled by the fact that we're doing it at this Taco Bell. Um, so yeah, there, there was initial talk about like live streaming the whole wedding and all that stuff. And I just decided like, you know what? No, let's just, this is still our wedding. Let's just, we'll do this and we'll have the story and we'll have video and everything. We'll, we'll have pictures and everything. Like, you know, it's not going to be like this, uh, total like behind closed doors affair. Like people will get to see, you know, what that was all like. But, uh, eh, I, I'm not super interested in streaming the whole thing. It's probably for the best, even though that would be one of the biggest Periscope live streams of all time. Like, I, I understand why you wouldn't, but man, that could be a really yeah. good opportunity. I mean, hell, I, I love seeing, a, I love putting on a Periscope with a lot of viewers, but uh, I, I have my priorities, and, and believe it or not, my wedding uh, it means more to me than a big popular Periscope feed. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe, you know, I, I think, yeah, like you said, silliness quota. Yeah. Maybe getting actually married is more important yeah. than periscoping this. Yeah. Uh, last two things, though, I do promise this time. Uh, where can people find you on social media? And are you working on any new books that you can talk about? Uh, okay, so on social media, it's at Dan Reichert, R-Y-C-K-E-R-T, all one word. I'm pretty much that on everything, uh, just at Dan Reichert. That's, uh, I do Instagram on occasion. Uh, I have a Facebook page uh, that you can like, and I occasionally update and stuff like that. Uh, I would highly recommend following my dog, Razor Reichert, on Instagram. Uh, that's something I would have kicked my own ass about three years ago if I heard myself say, but it's a real fucking cute dog. I don't judge. I got a dog like three years ago, and I'm the exact same way. I don't judge you for a second. Man, it's a cute fucking dog, and I just want to share it with people Dogs that want to look at cute fucking dogs. So that's <laughs> that's Razor Reichert on Instagram. Um, but yeah, it's basically just Dan Reichert on everything. Uh, if, if you search my name on Amazon, my books will come up. Uh, I guess if I'm going to plug a couple main things besides the obvious, you know, Giant Beast Cast and Giant Bomb, I would say that the two books you mentioned, uh, the most recent one, Dumbest Kid and Gifted Class, I'm very proud of, uh, and Anxiety is an Ally, uh, I'm very proud of as well. And to answer the second part of your question, um, I am in the very, very early stages of possibly doing another kind of self-help type book. Um, because that, that is the one that I'm shocked. That one 
has major legs. Like, that one keeps selling. At these PAX meet and greets, I, I obviously have the people coming up and saying, like, oh, I love this funny story you told about powerbombing the Mr. Pib box and, and dumbest can give to class or this, this, you know, uh, popular bombcast moment or beastcast moment. But, the thing I get more than anything is just these people talking about anxiety as an ally and talking about like very real changes to uh, their lifestyle or whether they've lost a hundred pounds or they've started meditating or they're in a better mental space. Uh, and that's, that's amazing to me because that's, I never intended to, to go down like any kind of self-help route. Um, I just kind of wanted to share my story and if it helped a couple people, great. Uh, but man, that's the one I get the most feedback on and it feels incredible to be, to make an actual positive impact on someone's life. You know, even if it's not reaching, you know, hundreds of thousands of people like our podcast or whatever, um, just the fact that numerous people have told me that they've had real serious positive life changes because of that book. I kind of want to do that. And, and I do have this platform and I do have, I, I like to think a lot of knowledge or at least personal experience with dealing with uh, mental illness. And, um, so yeah, I'm in the very early stages of writing a book. Uh, it's probably going to be, you know, like self-help focus, more of a general, um, I guess self-help book. It won't be focused on anxiety. My current plan is just, I don't know, like I, I tend to have a pretty positive disposition about things. I don't get caught up on things. I don't really get angry. Um, I, I like to think I'm a very happy guy. Uh, and I'd like to kind of share some of just my mindset and, and what's helped me get this way. Um, but we'll see. I mean, like that's, I don't have an outline. I'm just, I, it's literally a note on my iPhone where when I have an idea, uh, I, I write it down. So, I mean, we're we're a ways away if that ever even becomes a, a real book. But it, it is the main thing I'm thinking about right now. When you when Anxiety is an Ally came out, it was right around the time where I thought I had anxiety. But it's one of those weird things that it's weird to talk about openly sometimes, especially if you're talking to people who don't experience it and they think you're crazy. Totally, they're like, "Why would you feel this way when you're driving and someone else is in the car? And why are you suddenly getting nervous out of nowhere? There's no traffic. What's wrong with you? Like stuff like that yep. that'll happen. And you're like, "Well, you just don't get it." So, uh, I mean, yeah, again, I bought and read the book and appreciate it because it was a human kind of way of discussing it and making you feel like, hey, like there's other people like this out there. Uh, and again, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. It's I've been, you know, Giant Bomb premium subscriber since, I mean, whenever premium subscriptions were available and uh, was super happy to see as soon as you and Jason came on because I had followed you at Game Informer before. I was like, this, this is exactly this is perfect. <laughs> like, this is going to be a ride. This is going to be interesting. But I'm so excited to kind of come along for that ride. So it, it's been great talking to you. And I can't wait to actually see all the pictures and everything from this Taco Bell wedding, which I still can't believe is happening. Yeah, I can't believe it either. So uh, thanks so much for all the kind words. I appreciate it. No problem at all. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.